Hello, gorgeous creatures. Welcome to Tea Cakes and Tarot Conversations with Queer Futurists. I am your host, and my name is Will Wilhelm. The guests that we meet on Tea Cakes and Tarot are all theater practitioners, artists, creators in some way. That's the industry that I work and live in and have for more than a decade. And we call them futurists because they are forward thinkers and they are constantly learning and experimenting how to expand our art form, how to make it more inclusive, more inviting, more daring, and generally push the boundaries out to include more. So today I'm going to be sharing space with someone who I think exemplifies that, not only in the way that they create work and create art, but also in the way that they live life, in the way that they lead, in the way that they organize their artistic practices and their business practices and their life practices. Through their eyes, the future looks very inviting, it looks cozy, it looks abundant, and honestly, it looks manageable. I can't wait to get to this future. (laughs) Today, I am joined by creator, artist, theater practitioner, life practitioner, Yehan Osanyin, and this conversation was recorded on May 20th, 2021. Hey, babe. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. I can't wait to talk more about um, what it is you do in the way that only you do it, which, you know, I think is true of all of us. But the more I get to know about you and your work, the more I realize um, you have these amazing abilities to, like we said, like we always invite queer futurists to this program, and I just see you creating this future. So I want to let the audience hear a little bit about what you're doing from your perspective and from your mouth. So will you start us off with just a little bit about the work that you're doing with a company you created called Earthseed and how, how that sort of works? I sure will. So Earthseed is an organization that I started a long time ago by a different name, but it uses theater in wild spaces to decolonize those spaces and the bodies that pass through them. And so when I say decolonize, it just means, not just, it means a lot of different things, but it's about uh, developing our identities in accordance with our own beliefs and not just in opposition to oppressive constructs. And so using theater in the same way in which we understand text and we prepare to be witnessed on a stage, that's the same way in which I approach like professional development, racial equity, somatic um, embodiment, all of those things. And uh, oftentimes the vehicles I'll use to do that are theater, of course, but it's also the wilderness because there is uh, rarely a more unpredictable given circumstance dealer than the wilderness. And so like it really holds you up against, you know, yourself and the world. And it's like, who are you in this moment? Um, Yeah. And so I'll canoe, I will um, whitewater raft, also whitewater canoe. Um, or backpacker go. I hate hiking because then I have to come back. Like it's a really hard thing. <laughs> but backpacking, like oh, I get to get take a nap for several hours. Got it. Yeah. So that's the gist of what I do at Earthseed. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Please, were you? Please, were you about to say more? I forgot the theater thing. <laughs> uh, it also is the, the the company that hosts the things that I do, like staged readings of my works, or before uh, Corona, um, I was putting up uh, Yankee Pickney in the studio before I took it on the road. And also, it's the company for when I work with young people. We have a youth ensemble, and so we um, did a, a piece called "Grief: A 2019 Whale." Um, and so that uh, Earth Seed is the entity that hosts all of those things. Cool. Thank you. Yes. I want to talk more about Yankee Pygmy in a second, but I'm obsessed with what you just said about the wilderness as like the biggest provider of given circumstances, uncontrollable provider. And I'm curious, what do you think we tried to control less than the theater? Like, what do you think, in what ways can the theater be more like the wilderness is my question. I love that. So... One of the things that is super interesting to me is we cultivate so many things to a T and so many things are reliant upon the backstage storytelling is reliant upon front stage story. We're all, it's a great team and it's wonderful. And however, when we cultivate things like a set or things that are definite or even costume, 
that those things cannot change necessarily as quickly as the wilderness, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, because here mm-hmm. you'll be hiking and then it's all of a sudden it's snowing and then it's raining and then it's, and so not only is it about the, the temperature, it's also about how your body is acclimating to it. Also how your yeah. body is acclimating to the other heartbeats of the people that are in your party as you're traveling through the wilderness. And so just like on stage and just like in humanity, our heartbeats are connecting and we're having empathy in, in the best case scenario. And that's the same thing in the wilderness, except with the, the varying given circumstances. In case anyone doesn't know, that's more than a metaphor. That is something that has actually been studied. It totally makes sense, like, on a hike, but in the theater as well, there is a synchronicity of heartbeats after people sit for a certain amount of time at the theater, which, like, I don't know very much about science, but that blows my fucking mind. I'm like, that's proof that the theater is real and the theater teaches empathy. I'm sure a scientist would be like, those two things have nothing to do with each other, but I don't care. No, and you also have the mirror neurons and things that are firing when you're hearing a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our our physiology is definitely connected. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. I love that you, especially outdoor theater, we think of the elements as like the thing that we're working against. Like, oh, we got rained out and I performed at the York and Shakespeare Festival. I was like, oh, the smoke. But it's like... um, you're outside, you're in the elements, you're in the wilderness. You have to sort of invite that in as a part of the experience because it is inevitable. It's not going to be perfect weather every day. That is so cool. Um, Will you tell me also and tell us more about your solo show, Yankee Pickney? Sure. Uh, I wrote it in 20... You know what? I was preparing for this interview and I was like, how do I prepare to speak about myself? You look at dates, you know. What did I do and when did I do it? I wrote it in 2017 and I was approached by this theater that is, uh, unfo- well, now defunct, called Theater Schmieder. And it was, I think, hmm, earlier on in the let's diversify our season uh, situation that we have, you know, we found ourselves on the other side of in a different way. Mm. And so he asked about a solo show and I'd written one that I performed in Chicago many years ago. But that just, it just wasn't right. And so then Yankee Pickney was one, it was also, it was 2017 and so the deaths of, or the murders of black bodies that were state sanctioned uh, by the police were really hitting me hard. Also there were several gun deaths in my own personal life, in my teaching professional life. And so guns played a huge role. And so when I, I thought about, because no one ever approached me to say, would you like to do a theater show as a part of our season, like a solo performance? And so I thought, let me take advantage of this. So what are the things that I want to do? I want to talk about these things that are affecting my life. I want to have my dog. Um, and I would just like it to be um, honest. And so Yankee Pickney is me as a, a black-bodied human being who's exploring what it means to be Jamaican and then uh, seen as a black person and then uh, seen as what I called white people black and then realizing my own blackness within my Jamaicanness. It's a lot about identity mm-hmm. and it's also about gender and the ways in which uh, I, 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 what is it? I call myself a gender vacillator sometimes. And so when we put, you know, masculinity uh, or maskness with this black body that, off, that also um, uh, has me intersecting with power in interesting ways. So uh, Yankee Pickney was about the exploration of all of that and my dog roamed through the stage and it was really beautiful because he was with me for the whole run except the last weekend and I took him out on the water because he'd gotten really sick and we paddled in Lake Washington and he looked up at Seattle's skyline and then he passed away in my boat and like uh, I was like on the river sticks just paddling his body to the shore and so it was like oh and that's the weekend that it ended and it was a really meaningful show for me and so all of those things happened. Yeah. That is Yankee. Wow. Yeah. That last bit has me, like, literally speechless in a way that I'm not supposed to be right now. To <laughs> <laughs> continue an interview. Um, wow. That sounds amazing. I wish... I, I can't wait to see that in the future. I know you're not done performing it. Um, so I love that you you brought up the, the gender vacillator, because I actually, you know, when I was getting ready to... When I was looking through all of your wonderful work, I wrote down that, and I was like, I wonder if, I wonder if that's, like, out of date. Um, because I love to... I, I did not create these terms, but I love to think of more like exciting terms to describe what gender is to me. So I like to call myself a gender trader. Mm. I just think that's fun and subversive. Um, and I also like to, especially with my theater work, like to call myself gender imaginative because that also just speaks to what my experience of gender is. And saying like, oh, I'm a gender vacillator. I know exactly what that is. 
face. That's a very like specific, um, like amazing way to talk about an ongoing relationship with gender that changes obviously from day to day. But the other thing that I, uh, that was what, that was included where I read that was, um, Yehan is a gender vacillating one-sided storyteller. <laughs> I was like, that's so funny and so fierce. I love describing. <laughs> that was a one-sided storyteller. Cause like a in a way, aren't we all? But like, will you tell me more about being a one-sided storyteller? Which I love that you're just like, I, I'm owning up to this because like, what else am I going to? It's from my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> will you talk to me about claiming that? Absolutely. Uh, so I have an interesting relationship with my biological parents. And, uh, and so I've had to go back and, and Yankee Pickney has so many journal entries. Mm. I had all of these journal entries and I've written in these journals since I was nine years old. And I looked back and that was the only record because of trauma, because of me being given away at 11, because of so many things that I only had this record of Yehan who wrote really hard things about being, you know, hit by their parent. And, uh, there were marks that were on my body and I, I had this written record of myself in my own hand and that was super powerful. And uh, it also then made me think about what are the ways in which that is trauma of me living in that moment and not necessarily remembering things that are correctly or, or remembering things correctly? Or what are the uh, ways in which my biological brother would have seen this differently or my parents would have seen this differently? And so I just tried so hard because I try to be kind and gracious to all of the things that, like, to perspectives. It's what makes me such a great facilitator. Uh, and, however, it does not make for good theater. <laughs> we need some drama and we need uh, the truth from one person's perspective, at least. And so mm -hmm. with the solo show, it felt like the, the most important piece of that work was uh, focusing on my perspective on all of the from all of the, if it was from Jennifer, if it was the conversations with my parents or my bio, my brother, it was really important for me to, for my own survival, as bodies around me were dropping on the streets, oh, how yeah. do I reconcile all of these things um, to heal? Yeah, that is amazing. And more power to you. Be that one-sided storyteller. Like, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're here to explore. And that's what sharing, I think, empathy and humanity is. Uh, you know, like, I just love that you wrote that in your bio because on paper, that could be misconstrued as something negative that it doesn't have to be. It shouldn't be. Um, I, I loved it. Um, is there anything, I'm curious, um, so you said you did a solo show in Chicago. So either from that first attempt or from all of the success of Yankee Pickney, um, like, what did you learn about yourself? Um, was was there any sort of, like, awakening or... I don't know, what did working on a solo show teach you about yourself, I guess, is my question. I think working on a solo show told me that you need help. <clears throat> uh, yeah. It, it was... Uh, and here's that I am someone who does a lot with a little and have for such a really, really long time. And I also, though, I get really frustrated because bureaucracy is a, is a, is in the sinew of white supremacy and white body supremacy. And, and I'm mm -hmm. told to take my time often and that doesn't work for me because if I'm trying to change something, then that means something's not working. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I literally, I was, got lost at the word sinew. What was the question again? <laughs> what it taught you about yourself. But I, I love where you're going as far as when you are working against things, sometimes you feel like you have to do it all yourself if you want it done a different way that works better for you. Well, I think it's that. And I also just budget wise, it made, it didn't make mm -hmm. sense to me to, like we talked about, um, put a lot of work into having a set. I just wanted to, because it felt weird to have the set cost so much money and then have uh, the fee for like a stage manager be $25, you know, like, it yeah. and so I decided to look at the budget and put it in the people power. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was great. And though, because of the limited uh, budget, it then reduced me to, oh, like, I can't actually find black people who can afford to work on the show behind the scenes because of the way in which the resources were um, laid out. And people power. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, I also just, 
I had my dog there as my emotional support piece, but I also, uh, Alice, who I think is still here, came in and did uh, the video recording of it because people are like, can I see it? I mean, no, because I just, I don't love being on camera, but Alice had said, you know, this is something you want to remember and want to have recorded. Uh, I had my friend Jess Smith, because I had to let go of the director shortly before rehearsals, uh, who came in and was my eyes for lighting, uh, particularly when I was on stage. And so I am someone who can do things by myself, but I also, someone on Twitter, I think it was on Black Twitter, was like, there was, was a black woman. She said, I don't want to hear myself described as resilient ever again in my entire life. I want to be soft. I want to be weak. And so like, that is the stage that I'm at. That's what I learned. Like, I, I absolutely can do that. And I did it for so many years of my life. And like, uh, spoil me, baby. Like, I'm trying to not work. Listen. <laughs> yes, you deserve some gentleness. Uh, absolutely. Victoria, I do not um, have a manager. Uh, if you want to hook me up with that, you go ahead. I Literally, every time people are like, um, yeah, so like, uh, what's like, what's up next for you? Like, what do you have like in the wings? I'm like, I don't know. Do you have something for me? Is someone, <laughs> is someone gathered in this audience trying to offer me something right now? Do you know an artistic director? But like, I'd really love to see you play this role. I'm like, who do you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, as I mentioned a little bit, you do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. You mentioned you do facilitating work. We haven't talked about, I know you do a lot of mutual aid and community work. You do a lot of education work. And this is on top of all of your artistry, even though I think you approach all of those things with artistry, I would say. But do you, is there one sort of central mission that those all serve that ties them together? Or are they disparate to you? Well, so... I was raised within what, how they would identify themselves as a Judeo-Christian boarding school that's probably rooted, not probably, it's definitely rooted in white supremacy and white savior uh, complex. Mm. And so I was raised with the idea of to whom much is given, much is expected. And I was like, mm. yes, right? Like, I'm gonna do that. I believe in that. And then a pandemic happened and I was like, bitch, I'm fucking tired. Like, I'm tired. I don't know if I want to be an actor anymore. Like, I don't know what is happening. And so like, before it was about being of service, before it was about healing, ooh, Brad, before it was about being of service and it was about healing. And now I, I just want to be human and I want to take care and I want to be the princess version of a potato. Like, just... <laughs> let me not stress and it and I've made some decisions and um yeah especially in the pandemic and that's worked out for me in all of the spiritual ways in all of <laughs> princess spud yes t-shirts uh, I will make us those in my craft room <laughs> yeah I do I and so that's what's happening for me at this point my my art is uh, it's it's shifted completely. I um, I don't know the direction completely, but I I'm excited for it to be from a place of ease, and uh, thank you, Peggy, <laughs> a place of ease and a place of I'm tired of the energy that doubt takes up in my brain. I'm tired of the, ener mm. the energy that self hatred takes up in my brain, and I've dealt with that in very deep in like um, in ways that I'm surprised I made it out of. And uh, since I've gotten to this other side, I've realized like, oh, I'm actually never going to be at that place again because I'm now older, because the world is different. I may be deep and dark and hurting in a different way, but I now have like these different experiences. And so I'm choosing ease and I'm choosing myself. And that is probably what my art will also reflect me. Yes. I think part of ease and part of choosing yourself. I, I was reading an interview that you did um, for American Theatre Magazine and something that you said in that that I always try to echo, especially when I talk to young artists, like fresh out of school, I'm so eager to say yes to everything and be grateful to be here. You said something that really stuck with me that was like, part of what makes me willing to be an artist is that I'm willing to walk away at any moment that it no longer serves me. Because this industry can be extremely abusive and yes it doles out abuse to, like in different ways to different people in different bodies with different experiences but there is a potential for a lot of abuse for a lot of people will you will you talk to me a little bit about what it means to have a healthy relationship with you as an artist and how that includes having 
other things that fulfill you so that if and when this does not provide you the space that you deserve, you are able to say goodbye or see you later. Can I ask a clarifying question? Of course, yeah. Uh, so you said that in the beginning you said that has a healthy relationship with an artist, like someone having a healthy relationship with me, right? how to have a healthy relationship with me. Someone having, uh, I think you are modeling in that statement how to have a healthy relationship with the arts industry or your own artistry. And I think that a lot of especially younger artists are ready to put themselves in harm's way for the opportunity or exposure. And I think that's so destructive and harmful. But it, it just happens. And, and, I, and I'm also saying that having been there, I'm sure you've been there. We've all been there. So, so I'm wondering what it took for you to arrive at that realization that you could be ready to walk away at any moment. And I think that that probably improves your artistry. Thanks for uh, uh, helping me understand that differently. <clears throat> yes. So something I think, uh, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I like one of the black Twitter like jokes that came through was the way in which uh, like you could die and a company will actually just hire someone the next day because like you need to get the work done. And I uh, realized because of the, the life that, the, that I have lived and the body that I have, that I am absolutely disposable to some people. And I mean, when you learn that from your parents, like the people who are genetically supposed to keep you and they're just like, no, I'm good. Right. Like what is what is the world if those relationships can discard you? So. Uh, I, as I healed from all of those things and as I, I looked at and worked in corporate, the corporate world and worked in the corporate nonprofit world, uh, mm -hmm. I watched people be discarded. I watched students be discarded and I watched the putative way in which relationships are built. And I also watched and experienced the relationships that required my healing or the relationships that, uh, like, um, nurtured my healing and, uh, and I started to believe in myself and love myself, uh, which I'm like laughing about, but it's absolutely what happened. And I, uh, and I, I read this one book uh, called Women Don't Ask. It was about salary negotiations. And it talked about the ways in which, and this is very binary, but women don't ask for more money in the ways in which, you know, other folks do. And so I started to think, I was like, oh, do I really get that much? As a black person, I get so much less money than other people. People are so willing to devalue me. Plus, I have been devalued my whole life. It comes from a place of weariness. And so once I realized that I'm an awesome person, <laughs> like actually just a really great person, um, and if there is something in my belly, if there's something in my neck, if there's something in my left nipple beneath my areola that tells me that I'm not supposed to be there anymore, part of my somatic embodiment and futuring journey is to honor this vessel that I'm going through this world in. And so I will listen to my body and time and time and time and time again, this body has taught me that the decisions I make are the right ones for myself and for others. And there have been countless times where people are like, oh, hey, you doing that thing actually opened up a door for me to do this other thing. And uh, while I'm not, uh, like, I'm not trying to be the, right, I'm trying to be soft, I'm not trying to pave the way necessarily, but if me mm -hmm. paving the way with softness, like, a, like it was a, a glacier carves through a, a mountain over time, if that's a thing that mm -hmm. leads passage for people, absolutely. Um, and I will do it with fierceness because I protect my na naivete and my kindness with a fierceness. Yes. Because, like, thank you for, like, we all need to be looking at each other and be like, I am fierce, I am awesome, and anyone can find me disposable, but I will never be disposable to my goddamn self. Excuse the language, but, like, you know, that's, yes, 100%. Thank you. Because it's something that we talk about on this um, on this series a lot, I'm curious to have your input in it, especially with regard to everything that we just talked about. We talk a lot about like classics and Shakespeare is just you know a topic that we include um, as we consider how to make those relevant to contemporary humans and bodies as we continue how to as we consider how to excavate queerness like it's really not that hard but um but you know to, <laughs> to find like a non-binary joy um like within classics and and so I'm wondering like do you have a relationship with Shakespeare at all? Do you have thoughts on Shakespeare? Is it something you think about at all? Oh, I love Shakespeare. I think about Shakespeare 
a lot. My lexicons are right there. My anthology of Shakespeare, like it, I love language and I love literature. And so one of the things that is, um, I was thinking about this, but as I was preparing for the interview by talking to myself, uh, was like, what is my relationship with Shakespeare? And I uh, studied Shakespeare in the conservatory. I performed Sylvia into Gentleman of Verona. Uh, I've performed Shakespeare before, but I don't often, because I do so many artistic things, and uh, when I get a script, someone, and when, I, when someone asks me to audition, I read the entire script. I go through mm-hmm. the work. I've learned as a director, not everyone does that anymore filing that one up here but with Shakespeare I don't necessarily have the time to read the entire text all over again to go through the lexicon to understand oh uh phi means this here and it means this here right (laughs) so like and so one of the things I've been thinking about is oh just like brushing up on that Shakespearean monologue and getting to Mm. audition for different things because I uh, have worked on new works for so long I have worked on like modern pieces or modern takes on slavery pieces and I would love to to play with Shakespeare again uh, which can happen now that I have my um a schedule that works for me that I work three days a week for like five hours amazing yes and your own company to incubate that in your own way because I would be really interested to see more of like we talk about you know white supremacy and cisnormativity and heteronormativity and all that that's kind of not like is ingrained in the text, but is more so ingrained in the repetition of how we produce it for no reason. Um, So I'm like, I'm really interested to like, to see like the earth seed, like what does it mean if our primary objective on this text is to decolonize it? Um, Our, and feel free to like respond to that in any way, but I'm also curious if there are any like other poets or wordsmiths that you uh that you love and want to give and live by and want to give to gifts as us because i know you have a couple other gifts you're about to give us too uh the one i wish i had one that came to mind faster than edna saint vincent malay but she wrote the 14 page long uh renaissance poem um i think she was seriously tripping on drugs you know all i could (laughs) see from where i stood were three long mountains and a wood and she just talks about this journey of what it was like for her to trip, but then also experience God. And um, the language is gorgeous. Uh, who else? What else? Classics? Oh, wait. Or contemporary wordsmiths and poets, too. Hold on, I just had, they're all, there's some that are right here. I've been reading a lot about hoodoo culture. And so there's a woman, her name is Lilith Dorsey, who writes about hoodoo culture um, in Spanish and in English. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Yeah, uh, in in Spanish and in English. And that has been super interesting to me. Uh, Also, just listening, like, I've been reading a lot of plays by young people that, in terms of rhythm, are really interesting to me. Um, But as far as classics, the thing that I'm not supposed to do is blank on things that I love (laughs) or, like, my canon. But, yay! Uh... But I am. That is it. No, that's you've that's you've given us someone. I actually everyone responding like that in the chat is like, I don't know who that is. I probably should. Um, so <laughs> that was a selfish thing for me to <laughs> have more to look up. So I already appreciate that gift. <laughs> um, Yehan, you ready? Can we do a little tarot reading? Uh, those are two different answers, but yes, I am not ready. <laughs> <laughs> Love go. <laughs> uh- Amazing. Okay, we're gonna transform. Um, I know before we start, I know that you have um, some really amazing decks that you would love to share and feature and I can't wait to see them. So I'm gonna be doing a little um, shuffling ASMR while you um, uh, share that with us. So I couldn't find one of the decks, but this artist, her name is Jessie Jumanji. And this isn't one of her Oracle decks. I'm gonna put it this is, I should have practiced. There we go. Yeah. That's the Flora and Fauna of Africa deck. And to show, um, the artwork that I really want to show, I also love the way, this is her um, Afro Goddess Oracle deck. The unboxing. And there's this like peach colored, uh, the bones on the outside, but it's like a gold color. Yeah. And so it has these really um, interesting pictures. Like there's uh, someone with a, that's going through a library, but she's got acrylics on. And then this other Hoodoo Tarot deck by Tayana Lee 
which I think is Mikilar. Yeah, the size is really wonderful. Uh, she wrote or did the work on this Hoodoo Tarot deck, but this is the book. Mm. And mm-hmm. the artwork is gorgeous. She didn't do the artwork, but these are all black women. And so what this deck does, like the other deck does, is it takes uh, characters from either African-American hoodoo or Caribbean hoodoo, and it replaces some of the characters or it replaces some of the... Um, so like strength is one of the major arcana, and so that one exists. But then you have here the eight of sticks instead. And so the book, oh, I feel like it's catching it exactly. And that, you got it. There we go. Mm-hmm. The artwork, it's just beautiful. Look it up. Uh, and it's more like a watercolor that is also just a haunting kind of image of black faces and black stories and black histories. And so um, what I also love is just the way that this, the Hoodoo Tarot explanation guide gives you, uh, and this is frustrating for me as a person who's no longer a Christian, but uh, it gives you the Bible verse because that was so much a part of black culture like coming up after the transatlantic uh, genocide. Uh, and then it also gives you the character or the, the person, the story of the person, what they meant to African-American culture. And then it gives you the meanings in the traditional deck. And then it gives you meanings that um, are possible through the other, um, through the new book. That's, Amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. I love, I love contemporary, like, adaptation. I like, just like I love um, contemporary, like, queerings of any and everything. I love contemporary, like, let me just, like, paint this similar story, but with my brush. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, I'll give you what I, what resonates with me, and I'll, like, take creative liberty to change whatever I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Um, all right. I've been shuffling these cards. Um, what would you like a reading on, Yehan? Anything particular? Any question? Any word that you want to invoke? Oh, uh, peace. Peace. Boom. Easy. I love it. Easy. <laughs> so easy. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've been shuffling these cards, and we're going to do a reading on peace. So I'm going to just be cutting the deck um, on camera. And then whenever it feels like the correct time, I want you to just say stop. Stop. Great. Okay, a reading on peace. Oh, beautiful. So I have drawn the moon. Mm. I'm going to show you this moon. (sighs) The moon is about your intuition and your instincts. It's also about your fears and, you know, it's the moment of night where things are kind of lit, but not really. <laughs> so, so like, it, it feels like everything could be a lot scarier than it is because we're seeing a shadowy outline instead of what's really there. But it's also a beautiful time for fantasy, right? We, just like we can imagine the horrible version of whatever that dimly lit shape is, it could also be like the tantalizing, exciting, shape-shifting, it could be so many things. There's an unease and an excitement in the not knowing. Of, 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 um, you know. And that's really interesting with like, with pursuing peace, yeah. especially when it's not something that a lot of us are privileged to feel very often, or, you know, some of us, um, artists, I feel like are love to be constantly troubled. (laughs) (laughs) Yearning. Can I say how Um, that connects to like my life and this morning? 100%. Okay. So, um, I'm learning more about the different parts of my, uh, my chart. And so my Gemini is in being, my Venus is in Gemini. It's about to be Gemini season. And so Tomorrow. this uh, tarologist that I follow, I think got a, a reading from a while ago, said that I should focus on following the moon because for Gemini, um, for Venus in Gemini, because it's going to, um, one, highlight my intuition. It needs to highlight parts of my life that I haven't been um, paying attention to before. So to like get this is definitely confirmation. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. So now I'm going to pair that with a little Shakespeare sonnet. Okay. Um, So I'm going to do the same thing with our deck of sonnets. I am just cutting the deck. And okay, fun. This is sonnet 135. Ready? 
Whoever hath her wish, thou hast thy will, and will to boot, and will in overplus. More than enough am I that vexed thee still, to thy sweet will making addition thus. Wilt thou, whose will is large and spacious, not once vouchsafe to hide my will in thine? Shall will in others seem right gracious, and in my will no fair acceptance shine? The sea, all water, yet receives rain still, and in abundance addeth to his store. So thou, being rich in will, add to thy will, one will of mine to make thy large will more. Let no unkind, no fair beseechers kill, Think all but one, and me, in that one will. <laughs> I love that we included this one, like, selfishly, because I feel like I have a, you know, I have a connection to Shakespeare because I think, I'm like, yeah, we're will and will. Um, and, <laughs> like, I ask you all these questions about this solo show because I'm working on a, on my own solo show that's, that's about will and will, basically. Um, so this is like, it's so sexual. Um, it's like, it's, it's, it's very much, and I love that he uses the pun and the double entendre of his own name um, to sort of seduce and like try and like get whoever he's written this to, to, I don't know, like give in to him in some way. But he's also saying like, you can never have too much of a good thing. He talks about abundance. Even the ocean is rained upon and receives more. And when it comes to peace and when it comes to channeling your love into whether it be one recipient or many ch- as many as possible. As many as you there's no there's no limit. I think of love as a, you know, an unlimited resource and I I wish that upon peace. I wish peace felt, you know, unlimited and accessible to us. And, and, and maybe it is once we figured out how to access it, once we know, like, you have learned, like, oh, when I know that my body is not peace any longer, I have to listen to it. When I, you know, whether it's that particular breath or closing your eyes or, you know, I'm working on that too, being able to control and find a moment of peace for myself um, that feels accessible all the time. Um, I'm going to read it one more time. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. And then, you know, if you, you can close your eyes if you want. Feel free to just, like, let this all watch over you. And then I'd love to know um, uh, what jumps out at you about the sonnet, anything else about the card, and uh, anything at all. Um, actually, I, I told you to close your eyes, but I lied. I'm going to have you look... I'm going to have you look at the moon card while you listen to the words, but you can still let them, you know, wash over you as you will. (laughs) Whoever hath her wish, thou hast thy will, and will to boot, and will in overplus. More than enough am I that vexed thee still, to thy sweet will making addition thus. Wilt thou, whose will is large and spacious, not once vouchsafe to hide my will in thine? Shall will in others seem right gracious, and in my will no fair acceptance shine? The sea, all water, yet receives rain still, and in abundance addeth to his store. So thou, being rich in will, add to thy will one will of mine to make thy large will more. Let no unkind, no fair beseechers kill. Think all but one, and me in that one will. Uh... I'm so glad you read it again. So one of the things I was thinking is, uh, I think, less connected to love. But I was thinking about the show The Magicians, you know, as we talk about it. Have you watched it at all? I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. it it's super queer. And that's, it's not the reason I love it, but it, the way in which it handles queerness is, is uh, uh, one of the reasons I love it. And so there's this one episode where they have to ask the moon to do something for them in order to save the world. And so then they all have to band together to do these spells to then get the yes or the no from the moon. And I, as I was watching the, um, the figure on the, the moon card, I just kept imagining like the way in which <clears throat> uh, an abundance of peace is possible if... I one count on them all of the people who are doing the spells and the people who do spells in my own life to come and show up for me. And one of the things that's really funny about it is 
in order to get into the right space to deal with the moon, you had to get to a place of delirium. You weren't allowed to sleep for five days. And so I think about like the way in which I get to that place in theater, the way in which I get to that place in art, and the way in which peace is almost like a delirious state when you have realized like, oh yeah, this, I'm not trying to push myself into chaos because of uh, trauma. I'm actually just happy. And I, it's almost like a third lung. And so I'm excited about this abundance of peace. Um, uh, with a bunch of queer people in delir- in a like delirious state asking for guidance from the moon. Yeah. Yes. Um oh, that's so cool. I love it. And I also just want to point out on this moon card, like this little rabbit that's hopping around yeah. her feet. Um look at look at that little rabbit. And you know, I th- rabbits, I, if I'm not mistaken, are like most active kind of around dusk and around dawn is when they're hopping around most. And it's at those moments where we see the moon come out um, and 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 this sort of like in between uh, moment of breath that I that is that is uh, that is just like I'm thinking about that when you're talking about delirium and the sort of peace of being neither here nor there um, and just like existing in that uh, in the sort of limitless of the the nothingness and the limitlessness and the abundance of all of that. Um, yeah, I, it's, there's, I think, I can't wait to see how that continues to affect, like, these next steps for you and finding peace, um, I think we, like, we had to sort of make a lot of peace with isolation recently, and so now that we're no longer quite so isolated, one of the positive things that I was trying to bring out of, uh, quarantine and isolation was uh, access to to peace and, and being able to manufacture and make space for peace whenever I need it. Um, so I hope that that is something that you can receive in like in a way that feels not limited um, to you and as we move forward into reopening. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you so much for doing this with me. It was, it was such a pleasure to hang out with you. Um, I feel like pulling the sonnet is like just telling me that um, I'm going to be giving you an abundance of will in myself. And so I can't wait for us to be connected now and uh, you'll never get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Yay. <laughs> thank you for having me. This was wonderful. I totally needed this. Hmm. I love that the self-proclaimed gender vacillator Yehan taught us and taught me a lot about embracing these oxymorons in life. They spoke so passionately about protecting their naivete with a fierceness. In that conversation, I was also understanding that expansively to include their joy, their innocence, their peace that we talked a lot about, the curiosity that Michael J. Bobbitt taught us to lean into. A steadfast, fierce quality when it comes to leaving yourself space for softness, leaving yourself space for gentleness. I loved thinking of that exterior interior, like a hard shell of a turtle protecting something like soft and delicate underneath. You know, as queer people, we're used to that armor. We're used to putting up those defenses, whether it be holding people at arm's length or sometimes the way we dress ourselves or the way we wing our eyeliner can be our armor for the day. We're used to protecting the vulnerable parts of us with these layers. And through talking with Yehan, those layers seem to mesh a little bit to me. It's not so much a casing on the outside with a soft middle. There is a constant flow and interplay between the parts of ourselves that we really do not want to compromise on, but also the warmth and the joy that we feel from protecting those things dearly. They spoke of finding that inner peace as a delirious state, like an ecstatic state, especially juxtaposed with this chaos that we live in all the time, that to really just stop and take stock of how I'm doing and how I'm feeling and how my body and how my mind are responding to these situations, that it's a state of delirium and can be world-expanding in that way. It was really curious to me as someone who kind of vibrates at a really high frequency most of the time. I totally fall into the traps of like capitalism and hyper productivity and how much can I get done. 
So to me, I feel like so much of my day, chaos becomes almost the new normal. To really find peace and stillness does feel almost delirious to me, but in a joyful way, in a way that I think we all need to tap into, especially in an industry that is undervalued and underfunded, but also over-glamorized. In the way that we talk about it in our culture or teach maybe younger children to think of it as this really exciting, aspirational thing when it's a really hard thing. It's a really taxing job especially as creators creating from marginalized identities, we're put in a lot of compromising positions. We're asked to create very specifically from the identity standpoint that we are occupying at that time, which also makes it challenging often to be occupying multiple identities at the same time, which is true for many people, and often can just be straight up abusive to those people. So not only when I'm walking through the world, but also very much when I'm in a rehearsal room, when I'm in an industry setting, those same walls, that same armor is so up for me and for a lot of people I know. I love that Yehan brought out a lot of <laughs> tweets of the moment because it reminded me what was trending and what was viral during that conversation. And the tweet that I had seen many times before and have seen many times since that they reference of not wanting to be called resilient anymore and the context of that tweet was definitely on behalf of and from the perspective of a black woman. And Yehan was incorporating that into their experience as a black femme and a black femme artist in the world. And I see reverberations of that sentiment rippling into so many communities that are having to face this onslaught of hatred or this onslaught of antagonism and still be expected to wake up every morning and put on their armor and fight the good fight. And I think we ask a lot of people for that resilience. I think we ask a lot of people to be willing and able to explain their presence or explain their value or worth at the drop of a hat. And that's a really exhausting and hard thing to have to do. It's hard for adults to have to do. And what I'm seeing now that makes me even more frustrated is that certain states and certain state governments are putting that onus onto children now too, onto the trans children that they are supposed to protect and serve. And... We think of childhood with this innocence, with this softness, and we want to leave them space for that, space to try and fail gloriously. And it's really painful to me to think about the resilience we are teaching these kids that live in Tennessee or Arkansas or Iowa or insert state here, that they have to be steadfast and they have to be resilient to the harm that is surrounding them, to the forces that are working against them, while they are just trying to learn how to be humans, as all adolescents are, just trying to figure out what it means to be the human that they are. And God forbid they have supportive parents or a family that wants to help them through that journey, that wants to protect their softness with them. Florida or this state or that state will be like, well, that's child abuse. Texas will be like, oh, you are a bad parent or you are not fit to parent your trans child. So Yehan reminded me to try to hold on to that naivete, that childlike innocence that we are all deserving of. And we should all protect because that's the space that we create from so often. That childlike sense of wonder and joy and amazement. Yeah, so I really want to protect that for myself. And I'm also thinking a lot about how we can protect that for actual children. I don't know the answer. Um, I know continuing to take up space is a part of it. I know that their goal is to eradicate queer people and trans people from public life. And I know that they cannot win because the fight that we fight is fierce. Also just want to give a general shout out to Yehan for how much I enjoyed that conversation while I was at a time of my own. While I was 
deep in the trenches of creating and writing for my own solo show. It was so amazing to hear them talk about Yankee Pickney. (laughs) I lost my mind when they were like, what I learned was that I need help. Yeah, that hit hard, both uh, needing the help mentally, shout out to my therapist, and also creatively, shout out to my co-creator, Aaron. (laughs) Thanks for the help, y'all. Thank you so much to our incredible Tea Cakes and Tarot team. They are my co-creator, Aaron Murray, our sound engineer, Nigel Shields, our graphic designer, Ray Morgan, and we are produced by the Island Shakespeare Festival. Extra special thanks go to our season two sponsors, Whidbey Telecom, Island Ductless Heat Pumps, Goose Community Grocer, and Goosefoot Community Fund. Oh, and one more thing. The time has come, hennies. If you will be in the Chicago area from May 4th to June 3rd, please allow me to personally invite you to the world premiere of Gender Play or What You Will, presented by About Face Theater at the Den Theater in Wicker Park. Gender Play is a magical solo show that is one part party, one part seance, and one part fever dream that invites both audience and actor, hint, that is me, on a journey of self-discovery and queer possibility through the works of William Shakespeare. Tickets are available at aboutfacetheater.com. That's theater with an R-E, of course. We'd love to see you there. And then, as always, I'll leave you with our sonnet, which is Sonnet 135. Whoever hath her wish, thou hast thy will, and will to boot, and will in overplus. More than enough am I that vexed thee still, to thy sweet will making addition thus. Wilt thou, whose will is large and spacious, not once vouchsafe to hide my will in thine? Shall will in others seem right gracious, and in my will no fair acceptance shine? The sea, all water, yet receives rain still, and in abundance addeth to his store. So thou, being rich in will, add to thy will one will of mine to make thy large will more. Let no unkind, no fair beseechers kill. Think all but one, and me, in that one will. Well, babes, take it from me, take it from Yehan, take it from Will. I wish you abundance, today and all the days that come. And as always, keep on shining.